You're listening to WCAT Radio, your home for authentic Catholic programming. Hello, everybody. Al Bolowski with another edition of Catholic Mysticism and Spirituality, where we talk about the supernatural aspects of our faith, all things Catholic, and relevant topics that deal with our faith in our world today. And today is Columbus Day as we do the show, October 12, 2020. And as we go to uh, produce this show today, we see once again that in Portland there was a riot and statues again being torn down of prominent Americans like Theodore Roosevelt. A lot of anarchy going on. A lot of uh, mistrust, disunity in the country. And I thought we would do the show on Columbus because earlier, of course, uh, this summer, we saw statues of Columbus torn down, thrown into uh, uh, rivers. And he has been vilified in some kind of um, monster, which he's not. And history, real history, not revisionist history, uh, bears this out. And I've talked about revisionist history on other shows before, and we've got to be very, very careful because Columbus, uh, Jefferson, Washington, um, and Teddy Roosevelt Jr., all these statues, all these things, Mount Rushmore, they become political. And why? The question we have to ask ourselves, why is this happening? And the big question, of course, as they say, the $64,000 question, is why do so many young people hate America and think we'd be better off as a socialist country? And, you know, President Trump, way back, he's coined a phrase that's become very popular. It was called fake news. But as I've mentioned before, on some, you know, when I've talked about history on uh, several shows before, you could even use that term to declare fake history. Because revisionist history is a very dangerous thing. Because it is propagated by schools and universities to get people, young people, to be ashamed of being American, to hate this country, to think it was predicated on nothing but evil men and evil deeds. And it's got to be totally stripped away. And these are agendas. Make no mistake about it. When you hear candidates, uh, excuse me, senators like uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, called detention facilities concentration camps. And basing it on a belief that came from an extremely influential, um, sad to say, bestseller of People's History of the United States, written by Howard Zinn. We've got some trouble. Because these are people in power, and they're influential. And Howard Zinn's book was a very influential book, very influential. And we're going to talk about that before we get into the Columbus aspect of this. You see, I believe it was published in 1980, this People's History. And the sad thing is that it is virtually in use, as I've mentioned, in every school district, every university, your libraries, you name it. Now, Zinn chaired history and social science departments at Spelman College and was a political uh, science professor at Boston University. And basically what this book does is paint America as a very dark, evil nation whose every advance that we have accomplished in this great nation of ours came at somebody else's expense. 
And when we look at the books of this revisionist history, what did Zinn portray Christopher Columbus as? Basically, a genocidal maniac that was driven by only the lust for gold, power, money, and the murderer because of the Indians. And it's very easy to take, as we see in the media today, things out of context to get the desired construct of what you're trying to say to influence people, especially young people. And that's what Zinn did. He juxtaposed passages from Columbus's diaries to construct the lies that he told about him. You know, give a few examples. Those English settlers at Jamestown, Virginia and Plymouth, they also were perpetrators of a genocide against the Native Americans. Now, what about our founding fathers? They weren't brilliant men that wanted to uh, strike a blow for freedom and create a new kind of world, one that would defy tyranny? No, of course not. According to Mr. Zinn, they were greedy exploiters who only fought that revolution, not for liberty, but because their own class-driven acquisition of wealth and power. How about World War II? What was the United States' role in World War II? Well, according to this young people's history in the United States, in his two-volume effort, Mr. Zinn claims that, you know what? The United States was no better than Germany or Japan. No better than Hitler. How about that? So America, he argued, fought not because our main interest was stopping fascism. Well, oh no. Advancing the imperial interests of the United States. And the Marshall Plan, which the United States used, billions and billions of dollars to restore war-torn Europe, to let them come back, to not repeat what was done at the Treaty of Versailles in World War I, handcuffing Germany, where World War II was going to find its roots. No. Zinn argues that, or Zinn says that the real purpose was to create a network of American corporate control over the entire world. And our internment of Japanese Americans during the war, he says it's no different than Hitler's extermination camp in which we know six million Jews were murdered. He portrays Ho Chi Minh, the North Vietnamese communist leader, as a great leader and a liberator. Now, it's easy to strip away when we look in the Howard Zinn. Because in all this language that he's using, we're seeing today in our streets in the United States, it's the basic of the Marxist class warfare. And events such as the communist takeover of Cambodia, and the incredible carnage that happened, well, guess what? In a people's history, it's not there. Now, Pol Pot, who some historians believe killed more than two million people, is just absent from the people's history. Now, why is this? As I said, when you strip away these layers, you see layers, excuse me, we can find and connect the dots. Zen was a, a member of numerous uh, Soviet front groups. And he helped found a socialist party called the New Party. Uh, you might remember that. Because the New Party helped Barack Obama launch his political career. And... He helped found, found the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And this was a communist organization that undermined 
Non-Communist National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, and of course instigated political violence. Now this should seem familiar. Now, then, in misrepresenting sources, he admits critical information, actually falsified evidence, you know, it's really easy to see what this agenda was. And the sad part is, is that many people bought it hook, line, and sinker. And you see many people in buying this because they looked and read and this was a story for the little guy, for the forgotten men and women. But the problem was this whole, these whole volumes, these books, were designed to promote a communist revolution. And he was, according to FBI documents, a card-carrying communist, which, you know, he would deny. But he was. And, you know, when we look and see He claims, in claim that capitalism has always been a failure for the lower classes. And then it would just, of course, rise up to take down the middle class. And the argument against that would be most of America's poor, and it's unfortunately we've got them, but poor people are everywhere on this globe. Yet in America, poor people live better Think about it. And billions of people around the world who don't have electricity, don't have cars, smartphones, TV, medical care, anything. They don't even have indoor plumbing. And this utopian belief that the communists have to take down this country and create a society without God that will take care of everything, everything free, free food, housing, health care, education, transportation, is the stuff of which they are made of and pitch. And I've, as I've argued before on other shows, when you, you uh, meaning human beings, when we think we're going to throw God out of the picture and that we can create paradise on earth, we are in for some severe chastising. And I hope these things that we're talking about, we're going to get off this uh, very quickly now on Howard Zinn and his people's uh, history. It should sound kind of familiar and have a familiar ring in the time we're leaving right now. Because we've had people in the Democratic Party that are leaning for this type of thing, to go to a socialist regime. And it's appealing because, unfortunately, many people in our country do not have uh, a background or basic in economics. And with books like this and teachers like this and people that promote this kind of history, it's easy to see where people, young people, can be persuaded to think that they live in a bad country and that we can be rebuild it as a socialist paradise. The answer is all with us. Not God, but us. And what I want to do now is talk about how we actually got to Columbus Day before we tackle on some myths uh, of Christopher Columbus. Now, the reason that Columbus Day was initiated was by President Harrison, and we'll get to that in a moment, because there was a incident, a horrible incident, that took place in New Orleans. And a police chief that was popular named David Hennessy was murdered. 
And they had an investigation to find out who the killer was. Now, at this time, Italians were hated, outright hated. And one of the reasons is that being immigrants and coming from another land, they had an olive skin and the people mistrusted them. And they didn't like that dark skin. And they knew that they were lazy and that they were evil. And since they couldn't be trusted and they were feared, they were hated. So there were arrests made. And it was 11 immigrant Italians who they arrested. And they were brought to trial. And they were found innocent. And much like today, in our media today, the papers like the New York Times at that time who had no problem hiding their racism against Italians, egged on the people of New Orleans to take justice in their own hands because justice had not been done by the jury system. And what was the worst lynching in America's history took place. And those men were murdered. Now this upset President Harrison tremendously. He was a man of integrity, a president with integrity. He took down robber barrel, barons and he took down in, uh, corrupt politicians. So he had this integrity, this honesty, and this deeply upset him so he wanted to make things right to stop this. So one of the things he did, and at this time, this was a tremendous amount of money. He gave $25,000 to each one of those families of those men that were murdered. And then the second thing he did was to try to come up with something that would honor Italian immigrants, give them dignity in this country, turn back the tide, of that racism against them. And Christopher Columbus fit the bill as that hero. And he issued that proclamation. So those were his twofold reasons. He wanted to make things right for the families. And then he wanted to end his prejudice against the Italians. And this is how Columbus Day begin to take place. And I believe it was Franklin Roosevelt that made that the official holiday later. But this is how it all took place. Now, we see the political correctness, partisan politics, partisan academics, activists all over, and it became quite fashionable to criticize Christopher Columbus. And he was not this genocidal maniac. He was not a man who just wanted wealth and power. Quite the contrary. The real Christopher Columbus was a man of faith and courage. And he wasn't a monster. Again, I mentioned Howard Zinn in the beginning because the modern critic, the modern historian has politicized his history. And remember, this, this wasn't, as I mentioned, President Harrison in that time during that 18, I believe it was in the 40s, 1845 or so, that these lynchings took place. There was always a Catholic bigotry. And that's why, even back then, Columbus was a favorite target. And people argue today that the only acceptable bigotry left in this country is against Catholics. And yet, one thing I want to say is that, which, give, which should give us hope, is that these are the majority of Americans today still view 
Christopher Columbus positively replied. In the city I live, they just had a, a nice little ceremony this morning, and it was beautiful, with beautiful flowers. And that, I, you know, I think is, is basically the majority of people. I think in the last one of these polls for what they're worth, 55% said that they favor Columbus Day and the holiday named after him. So another poll said that 3 in 10 only are unfavorable of Christopher Columbus in the holiday. But we see throughout history that it only takes a handful of powers. And that's one of the things uh, of people in power to change things. That's one mistake we make as human beings and not learning from history. Is that is this groundswell where everyone thinks it's a tremendous amount of people. It's not. It's usually a handful of radical people that get into power that change the dynamic of the society. So when people say, well, you know, there's only a few here, a few there, we've got to be very careful with that. Because it's only a few here and a few there that have changed and been some of the most catastrophic historical events in human beings. So there is an effort to strip Columbus of honor, tear down our country, and sadly to say, in some areas, this is under review to eliminate him. Some states and municipalities have removed his name or eliminated the holiday completely. It's crazy when you think about it. But this is the danger that a small agenda can accomplish. And when we look at Christopher Columbus, we need to look at the truth about him and why he went on this great adventure and what were his motives. Now, one thing Columbus was, was a deeply, deeply man of Catholic faith. And he was a courageous man, because at that time he was willing to go against the grain. He was born in Genoa, Italy, and he believed that he could reach the shores of Asia by just going 3,000 miles west across the Atlantic Ocean. And that passage would establish a faster and easier trade route by sailing south and east of Africa that anyone could have imagined at that time. Now, some of the scholars today calculated that distance to well over 7,000 miles. Now, obviously, there were many who were skeptical that Christopher Columbus' proposal that the Earth was not flat, but Columbus believed that it was larger. And he miscalculated. But, as we know, despite that, he did find land. And he find, found not the Orient, but an entirely new continent. And you have got to look and see that when, in the 1840s, when waves of European immigrants swelled, the ranks of Catholics in the United States also swelled. And with that, what happened? Remember what I said, that there was a strong anti-Catholic bigotry and anti-immigrant. And this was basically from a Protestant majority. So Catholics were subject to discrimination, 
ridicule, slander, anti-Catholic propaganda, and as we see in the lynching, violence. This is one of the reasons he's going to be canonized a saint very soon. Uh, Father Michael J. McGivney founded the Order of the Knights of Columbus. Now, if you're not familiar with the Knights of Columbus, they're an incredible order worldwide who countless hours and hours and hours of uh, manpower and financial means and having insurance that continue to this day to help people. An incredible organization. And Father McGivley, who founded this, believed that the explorer, Columbus, represented both Catholicism and patriotism at the very root of America's heritage. And the basis for that was that against this bigotry, he wanted to show that faithful Catholics could be just that, faithful to their faith, but they also could be solid American citizens. That's what he wanted to do because Father McGivney was very, very concerned about the working class people in his parish and the abuses which they took. And as I say, with this bigotry that happened, Columbus was the hero that they looked, that they thought could unify, unify the people around a person who was faithful, courageous, and heroic. Now, when the Ku Klux Klan was revived in 1915, targeted Catholics, Jews, minority groups, and anyone that they considered a threat to the nation's native white and Protestant identity. So, certainly one of their targets had to be Columbus. And the Klan, they opposed it. They opposed the observance of Columbus Day. And they tried to suppress the celebrations of the holiday. And they burned cross at Knights of Columbus observances in Pennsylvania. And as they say, not much things change in the realm of history, just the faces. Because if we look at that period of time in our history, we can still today see that anti-Catholic prejudice in the attacks on Columbus and our statues and our Catholic culture and our culture as Americans as well. And this new wave built on this false history is how the people today, especially young, say that Columbus was no good and he was up to no good. as I said earlier in the show, that they said he perpetuated acts of genocide. He was the one that introduced slavery, oppression. And of course, as we look, when we really want to do some honest research, we get a different picture. Now, Carol Delaney was a former professor at Stanford and Brown University. And she wrote a book called Columbus and the Quest for Jerusalem. And you know, a, a good historian, and these, it's tough. It's tough to look at this because most of us, and as historians certainly, we tend to look, when we write the books, when we look at history, look at it from our perspective, whatever time frame we're in. So ours would be this 21st perspective when we look back at historical events. And yet, Carol Delaney has it right when she said that in order to understand Columbus, we must understand his time, his world, and how the cultural and religious beliefs of that time influenced the way he thought and acted. Now, 
she states that Columbus actually found the native peoples to be very intelligent. And his relations basically with them were good. And he gave strict instructions to the people that were settling this colony, this colony that he found, this great land of ours, to treat, and I quote from his own words, Columbus, to treat the native people with respect. Now this is from Columbus. But Columbus also was gone a good part of the time. While he was a first-rate navigator, top-notch, he was not the best governor and politician. And he trusted his men to follow through on the orders he gave them, which we know they did not, especially during those long absences. And there's no question that with this voyage between the old world and the new world, eventually leading to foundings of new countries in the Western Hemisphere, the diseases inadvertently carried to the new world. And they caused the greatest number of casualties by far. By far. But you can't blame Columbus for that. And that is what we try to do today. And when we look at our own times, whether you like President Trump, whether you don't like President Trump, and a personal opinion here, to blame any one man, or I guess in this case two men, because they, they include the vice president, that they were responsible for the death of so many Americans is the same thing we're doing here with Columbus, where they blame him for this genocide that clearly wasn't his fault. It's just not that simple. But it serves a political agenda. And remember what we said at the beginning of the show, that that's what Columbus has become. And we have to be very careful with that. You can't blame one man for that. Again, his own words, his own diaries, not taken out of context like Howard's ended, but looking at the whole picture. You see that he liked the Native American people. He liked them. And he wanted them treating well. And a matter of fact, when he came back from one of his voyages and found that some of his men had been massacred by a warring tribe other than the ones that they were left behind to uh, take care of. He wanted to hear how this had happened because his men, when they came off the ship, saw their fellow men killed and they wanted revenge. But he would not let that happen. He wanted to find out how this had occurred. And let's not kid each other. Long before Columbus came, these tribes were pretty brutal to each other. So we look and we see these modern critics today. And we see what is called the black legend. And what was that? That was anti-Spanish propaganda that dated back to the 16th century. And what it did was stereotype Spanish explorers as being uniquely cruel and abusive. And we look and we see that the writings of Bartolome de la Casas, and he was a 16th century Spanish Dominican priest. He was a historian and a missionary. He exposed the abuse of the native people. They often cited today, that they used his diary to destroy Columbus's reputation. And de las Casas did write about the sufferings of the indigenous people. 
But what's left out is he also admired and respected Columbus for his sweetness and his gentleness of character, his deep faith, and all that he accomplished. De Las Casas wrote, he was the first to open the doors to the ocean sea, where he entered the remote lands and kingdoms, which until then had not known our Savior Jesus Christ and his blessed name. And you see, that was one of the big reasons Christopher Columbus wanted to come to this new world as an explorer, to evangelize because he loved his Catholic faith, he loved Jesus Christ so much, he wanted others to know the joy. And he was human, and he made mistakes, like all of us do. But de la Casas never doubted Columbus's good intentions. And he wrote, truly, I would not dare blame the admiral's intentions, for I knew him well, and I know his intentions are good. Now, this is coming from the very man that they used, his diary, and his record to impunge Columbus. Now, according to, as we mentioned, the historian I'm using, Carol uh, Delaney, Columbus fervently, fervently believed that it was the duty of every Christian to try to save the souls of non-Christians. And that is why he was so passionate to go on this adventure, as I said. He wasn't out to bring them into slavery or subjugate them. He wanted to, them to know the love of Christ and save their souls. And it was a great mission, then, that he undertook the evangelization of people. And this is why we need to really do our homework when it comes to Christopher Columbus. Because there are forces out there, and you know, from if you're a listener of the show, what I've said before, that all one needs to do to really make sense of all that's going on in our world today is we look at the eye of eternity. We look through that eye to see that this is the battle between God and the devil and good versus evil. It is the battle for soul. That the good God, Jesus Christ, wants the best for his people and to be with him in paradise. And Satan wants nothing less than the complete and total destruction of God's men and women and his creation. That's what this is about. And that's why it's important for us to look at it from the eye of eternity because it begins to make sense. And when you can see this agenda of a socialist, communistic bent, Marxist bent, which people today do not, do not hide. Let's be quite honest. They're up front. They're up front about it. Then we need to take a look at that and look at what they are trying to accomplish to influence young minds. Now, besides this evangelization that Columbus undertook, Carol Delaney makes a very interesting point, and this is why I say, you know, a good historian looks at the research from a time frame of the people that lived it, and not to put our spin on it. And she said that one of the reasons that Columbus wanted to go, besides that evangelization, is that 
people at that time thought that the apocalypse was coming. In this particular time, all those signs, plague, famine, earthquake, was happening. And Jerusalem had to be back in Christians' hands so that Christ could return in judgment. And Columbus actually calculated how many years were left before the end of the world. So his whole voyage was a mission. But part of it was that end of the world scenario. Now, when we look at Columbus's writings, it wasn't as if it just was going to be that the natives would be baptized and automatically they were Christians. Columbus wanted them to really be instructed about the Christian faith before the conversion. And this is one of the reasons he wrote to the Pope, and he wanted good priests to go with him on a journey and continue on once he was gone. Matter of fact, in his will, he left money for this to be done. So it was conversion, conversion. And Delaney argues that Columbus particularly wanted to convince the Grand Khan of China because he had already expressed interest in Christianity to convert. And if he could convert him to Christianity, a crusade could be launched to take Jerusalem by marching from the east while the Europeans marched from the west. Because remember, in this apocalyptic scenario, Jerusalem had to be back in Christian hands for Christ to return. So, you look at Columbus and you, you see that, and we've argued uh, that in the medieval ages, that was possibly the closest time that mankind lived as one with God. Because everything in those times was done with God in mind. Whether they were farming, whether they were building their architecture, everything, everything had to be taken in a religious context. And certainly Columbus was that type of man. Now, this stuff here that we'll talk about next, because when we look at the popular view today of Columbus, what is said? that he was responsible for countless atrocities against these native people. Now, again, I mentioned about the diseases that were brought here, and that is a sad fact. But you cannot blame Christopher Columbus. Again, like I say, I, I think it's an unfair comparison to blame uh, President Trump and Vice President Pence for 220,000 deaths or whatever they're accusing him of with the coronavirus. But to go to Columbus's uh, defense, that's not true at all. From the perspective of Native Americans, Columbus, of course, became the model and symbol for everything that is wrong. But again, reading his own writings, that of his contemporaries, and looking at it from the people but the mindset of the people that lived at that particular time gives a whole different understanding. If anything, his relations with the, nat relations with the natives were benign. As I mentioned before, he liked them and found them to be very intelligent. He also describes them as natural Christians. Because they would easily become Christians because they had no false faith to go back on if they were instructed. And again, to reiterate, he told his crew strictly, do not do things like pillage and rape. And he wanted them to treat the people with respect. And there are many examples in his writings where he gave instructions to this effect. 
And when these injustices did occur, Columbus wasn't even there. And again, you can't blame someone as a figurehead for all these things that go wrong. Each one of us is responsible for our behaviors. And many of those crew members of his, they didn't like all these restrictions. And what did they do, especially when he's gone? When the cat's away, as they say, they rebelled. And so Columbus, in his writing, looks at this and says that his crew assumed they could have slaves. They could pick gold off trees, and they didn't have to work. But that wasn't Christopher Columbus. And you can't blame him when his crew is committing sins that they could have chosen to follow their orders and not commit. And as far as Columbus's view of slavery, from what we know, he never had any slaves. And he had no intention to get slaves when he went across the ocean. And he again believed that these natives could become good Christians. You know, to, don't forget, slavery, and this is a hard thing for, for us to, to fathom, or I hope it is, this was a way of life for centuries in Christ's time. It was a way of life, sadly. But if you lost in battle, you were enslaved. They took, the winner took all the spoils. And you were up against it. And this was a norm. This was the way it was. So Columbus knew something. That Spain, recognizing a baptized person, could not be enslaved. And that was another reason he wanted the peoples to become Christians. Because he knew that they could not be enslaved they were baptized so he sought good now I mentioned uh, a moment ago that there was a tribe that warred against the one that, that fought and had combat against the native peoples that Columbus left his men in charge with and they were actually cannibals and that is the problem that he had when he came back and found those his crew members dead. But again, to hammer home the point, he wanted to look at all sides of what had happened in their death and not just let his men go out on a revenge campaign. So, these are all things we have to look at. And when you look at Columbus and look at this man of, of faith, he was persistent. He had to wait many years, 10 years before that first voyage came about. His petitions to the Portuguese, then the Spanish, they rejected his proposal three times, yet he never gave up. He believed that he could do this. And think about the courage he, sh he showed in going across an ocean in really small wooden ships with a compass to guide his way. So, when we try to put Columbus's perspective, as I think hopefully you can see, it shines a different light. And I'd like to just speak for a moment at some of the myths about Christopher Columbus. Because again, when we look at them at the actual historical record, they don't jibe. And you know, we're seeing the same thing in our time. As I mentioned earlier, the statue, I mentioned George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt. 
We have writings. You can read their writings. They're trying to change that. But if you read the Founding Fathers' actual writings, you're going to find a different picture than what is portrayed today. Christopher Columbus did not bring slavery and genocide to the world. Now, people, European, Native Americans, African Americans, Hispanics, Chinese, you name it, we commit sins. Many of them. But as I mentioned before, that slavery has always been part of our history an accepted way of life. And so is the genocide that accomplished many of us since way back when. And we have to look at it. So to say that he was a violent man, that's not what the writings of his contemporary said. I said about Lacassus and what he wrote. And he said that Columbus would take extreme measures so things would not get out of hand. And I said he was a great navigator, not a good governor. But by the third voyage, he was warning Ferdinand and Isabella about who they were allowing to sail into this new world. He wanted more missionaries to preach Christianity because he wanted those arrogant and abusive Spaniards that were going over there to be canceled out so that they also could know the joy of the Lord and then to give him upstanding men to help him run the collie that he could depend on, that were men of integrity. So he began to see what was going on. Now again, I mentioned that natives did die from these unfamiliar diseases that they had no immunity against. And the Spaniards under Columbus never intended to do that. That's what we've got to look at. So when we hear this stuff about him wanting to commit this murder and committing genocide, that's just totally unfounded. Totally unfounded. When you look at the writings and see, you'll see that a ready supply of native workers actually serves Spanish interests. And a lot of good was done for both cultures. One great myth, again, we'll get back to again, is the slave trade. Again, he wasn't interested in this. He wanted to set up a trading post or maybe an agricultural colony on the island of Hispaniola. That's today's Dominican Republic in Haiti. Now, he did take slaves as prisoner of war where he found violations of natural law. And I had mentioned that tribe that participated in human sacrifice or cannibalism. That was the only reason Spain permitted that to be done, because it went against the natural law, something egregious as those two things I just mentioned. But that was never Columbus's intention, never. But it had to be done to maintain order in what certainly were unprecedented circumstances. So that is what you have to look at. You can't not make, and they do today, of course, make a blanket statement to push that agenda again through. That's bad history. Uh, the talk from teaching that Columbus was only motivated by gold and glory and he only used God as a cover for worldly interest, it's totally, totally untrue. He had a strong religious devotion. Again, a man of the medieval ages, where everything they did, everything was connected to their creator. 
he felt, and you look at the writings, that he had been given a specific role to spread the gospel to all nations. And again, I mentioned that, is one of that in that uh, apocalyptic thinking, so Christ could return. He was very close to the Franciscans and often dressed in his later years as a third order Franciscan. Now another teardown which I think I, I find humorous is that the people say, well, you know what? Granted all that, but he really didn't accomplish anything. <laughs> well, that's what we hear, right? Columbus did not, quote, discover the new world. The argument goes that those living here already knew where they were. They didn't need to be discovered. Well, that's kind of a half-truth. Indigenous peoples, of course, knew their own land. But they didn't know that they were part of a larger world. So those two cultures, through their agriculture, through their technologies at that time, complemented each other. They both learned things that enhanced each other's culture. And one of the reasons that Columbus is honored, and should be, is that he began a process toward the one that interconnected, interconnected the world that we, you and me, live in now. So in a way that is quite real, Columbus, by his skill, his imagination, courage, grit, he gave us this world we know. So when we look and see Christopher Columbus dismissed today on so many grounds, I, you know, you've got the same thing as I mentioned with the Founding Fathers, with so many people uh, that we have uh, looked up to as Americans, we must look and see that the people that are pushing this agenda, they hate Western civilization. And let's be quite honest, they hate traditional Christianity. And all they want to do is concentrate on all this bad stuff and not give any credit, any gratitude, for the many, many, many good things he did. So, I would like to just finish the show and say that uh, we owe a lot to Christopher Columbus. And we need to look at the past so we can have a future. Because many of the things that are being played out today and many people are unhappy with the way things are being played out today in many, many, many venues. That we need to take a step back, not use emotion, but use critical thinking and logic to see what is driving us. To get back to unity. To get back to those Judeo-Christian principles. To get back to God and not believe every soundbite, every major headline, every poll, every revisionist history book. Take the time which is difficult in the busy, busy world and lives that we have today. Do our research and with common sense look and see what is driving this. And always with that discernment by looking at it through the eyes of eternity as God sees this all play out. Because remember something, brothers and sisters, no matter what, no matter what tribulations may come our way, he has overcome the world. By his cross, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus has overcome the world. And we can place all of our hope into him. And with that, we will have peace in our hearts, minds, and souls. Good night, and God bless.
Thank you for listening to a production of WCAT Radio. Please join us in our mission of evangelization. And don't forget, love lifts up when knowledge takes flight.